Hey there, here's a quick note. This podcast contains general financial advice only. That means it's not specific to you, your needs, goals, or objectives. So don't act on the information until you've spoken with your financial advisor. You'll find our full disclosure, disclaimer, and link to our financial services guide in the show notes. G'day, mate. Welcome back to the show. It's always good to see you. It's good to see you too. Today, we're going to talk about um, some of the volatility that we're seeing in markets. We're recording this on February uh, 25th, which is uh, the day after the news outlets are reporting that uh, Russia has fully invaded or started to fully invade uh, the Ukraine. So there's been a lot of volatility. We've, we've heard the US president come out with uh, his response, which was more sanctions. So we're in. if you're listening to this a little bit later, just keep that in mind. But we're going to talk about six companies, uh, six really interesting companies. Some companies at the time of recording are way down from highs, but are bouncing back. And so uh, we've got a really interesting mix of companies here. We'll, we'll spend about you know five minutes on each of those six. But maybe to start off with, mate, um, volatility, it's everywhere at the moment. Uh, people are scared. People are writing into me saying, you know, I'm down 30% this year. My portfolio is looking scary. Should I rebalance? Should I sell? Should I go to cash? Um, like, what are you seeing out there? Like, just general strokes, I guess. How are you seeing things? Well, when I last checked my portfolio, I haven't checked it in a few days, and, and I have it set to at least the one portfolio where, you know, where I look at things, the other portfolio I actually don't pay that much attention, which is probably a good thing. Um, and they're very similarly, uh, similarly positioned. Uh, I saw my year to date, not year to date, one year returns for minus, I think, 28%. Um, wow. So, yeah. <laughs> and, and that was a few days back. So, so it must be a lot more negative now than wow. it was a few days. A few days back. So yeah, yeah, I think it was, yeah, my one year return was now minus something 28%. Um, how does it make me feel? Not great. Um, but you know what, like, uh, you know, I think it's a part and parcel of investing, especially like I invest in high growth. I know that you did do that too. If you invest in high growth, volatile stocks, they go up, they go down. Um, it's part of it. Uh, I don't, I don't sell out of anything and I'm not a big fan of selling something to buy something. So I'm just trying to find whatever cash I can. Um, I'm saving on that, uh, you know, not having that avocado toast <laughs> and trying to put that money too. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm having a peanut butter and jelly <laughs> right now and I'm putting everything that I can. I've basically been investing regularly. Um, I have, I've, you know, I've been doing it roughly at a three week cadence, trying to invest every three to four weeks. Uh, because, you know, it looks like, you know, you've hit the bottom and then, you know, the bottom falls. And again, you think like it has hit the bottom and the bottom falls, right? Mm. So, but, you know, a lot of companies are bouncing around a lot because a lot of them are, I think, value price range, but that doesn't mean that they can't get any cheaper. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. It's really interesting. So there's one thing I want to dive into really quickly in just a moment, which is why you are not a fan of selling and then buying, but I'm exactly in the same camp. So I'm looking, scratching around for every last dollar that I can find basically to put money in. Like I did this mini miniature budget of the next two months. Um, and I basically given myself a two month window to save as much money as I can and invest it. Um, and I just run it down to the line. Uh, I'm not saying like, I don't think either of us are predicting that, Hey, in the next two months or next three months, things are going to be back to normal by no stretch of the imagination. But what we're saying is there's, there are shares that are down companies that we wanted to own for a long time. Um, and even, you know, for me, even things like ETFs, you know, I'm just pretty much buying. Um, that's basically what I want to do is just buy. Um, so that's what I'm going to do over the next few months. Hopefully we can catch up and talk about some of those purchases. But um, so can you just maybe, this is a really important question. We're getting a lot from our members is 
uh, why don't you sell and then buy other positions? Yeah, so one of the things I try to own companies I really like, right? And mm. so selling right now would mean like I don't have to sell something like say Apple, which has which has fallen a lot less compared to other companies and then sell Apple and buy something else. Uh, Apple is probably down only 10%, maybe in some other stuff is probably down 30, 40, 50. There are companies that are down 80% uh, from highs, right? Mm. So, uh, but I don't want to do that because I've held Apple since maybe 2011 or 12. That's, you know, a, a huge multi-bagger position. Uh, that's like a huge tax bill if I sell some. <laughs> and, and it just doesn't make sense to sell some Apple. You know what I mean? So, and then I could sell some companies. I think, you know, if I had to sell, I would look at companies that are not ex executing very well. But some of those companies, I find that they are, even if they're, you know, not executing the best, they're so dirt cheap that I can't just justify, you know, selling them at this valuation. I guess if I get desperate, that's where I'd start at the, at the bottom of the pyramid, looking mm. at those companies that are not executing. But I don't like selling any company that is doing well, executing fine, because it effectively means I have to do, I have to make two decisions, right? I have to get the sell decision right. And then, you know, in terms of that company not being market beating and then buying another company, uh, which has to be market beating, I have to getting two decisions right is really hard. Uh, so I have tax considerations that I put into play. And then there's this consideration of getting two decisions back to back right instead of getting one decision right. Um, and just, I'm not, I just don't like to cycle. And and for all, every company that I mentioned that is not doing well, because I have this tendency of not selling things, the companies that are not doing well, because I don't add significantly to my losers, it's not something that I do, or I've stopped doing. Um, mm. They're really tiny positions. Like, I mean, you know, I'm not going to get a big bang for my buck. I guess if I, if I sell all of them, I'll get some money that I can deploy somewhere else. Probably maybe it is worthwhile, but yeah. So I try to avoid that decision complex decision-making and try to keep it simple. I want to buy that. Can I find some cash and, you know, I can save, you know, buy the cheap bread and have peanut butter and stuff <laughs> like that. And maybe that helps. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, for people out there that are listening, that think that are thinking, maybe I can't, you know, add extra cash to my portfolio. There's always things you can sell. So, <laughs> you know, I've got a redundant iPad that I'm going to get rid of hopefully in the next couple of days. <laughs> and that's going straight into the portfolio. Um, so yeah, so it, it's it's a fascinating thing, right? Because obviously there people are scared. They're talking about World War Three and all this type of stuff. Um, I don't have a, necessarily have a strong view on that either way. But all I know is that kind of capitalism has worked for uh, at least Western economies for forever. And so it typically rewards the investors. Um, and if people like Warren Buffett and many of the, the value investors are anything to go by, it makes sense to buy when prices are lower. So um, that's exactly what I'm going to do. And uh, sounds like you are too. So I hope that gives people some confidence in how to, to go about things and, and how to think about things. Obviously, not everyone's the same. Uh, if you have like a bond, big bond position, you might use that as a you know, and hedge and then rebalance accordingly. I think that's that's prudent too. Mate, let's get into some companies. Let's get into some exciting companies. Um, I think you're going to start off with Zscaler, trades under the ticker code uh, ZS. Uh, tell us a little bit about the stock tumbled. Um, really interested to hear about this. Yeah, so Z Zscaler is a security company. They basically provide, um, you know, cybersecurity solutions to enterprises. And you know, the stock tumbled, I think like last one I checked was it was down 18, 16%. Mm. I was trying to really figure out uh, what was wrong with the company. Uh, I, I, you know, I couldn't, <laughs> and I haven't read the the 
the conference call in detail, but, you know, but every, like the ones that the questions that I read, the analysts all start off by saying, congratulations, that was a fantastic quarter. You had a really hard comp and you beat that comp. Well done. So, so I don't know what else was left. So um, yeah, so this company grew revenue um, 63% uh, year over year for the quarter. Mm. Um, remember, this is a business that's now in excess of a billion dollar run rate. It's growing at 63%. Here's the other thing. A quarter over quarters, if you look at the Jason quarters, I think it was up 11%. Okay, hmm. that's again pretty phenomenal. And in terms of the growth rate, the growth rate actually accelerated. Okay, so, so hmm. I don't know what the market is here looking for, uh, but I, I think I have a suspicion of what it is. Then uh, the other thing I look for in this is a software as a service business um, is just remaining performance obligation, right? And the remaining We've performance talked obligation. About that, yeah. Uh, yep. We've talked about this before. It's an important metric tells you about all the contracts that are booked in that are going to be serviced later on. That was up 90% year over year, 90%. Okay. I don't, very few companies do this sort of thing, right? <laughs> this is a free cash flow uh, positive. Yes. You know, adjusting for stock-based comps and things like that. Um, I have a suspicion of what happened. I think the suspicion here is that their next quarter guidance uh, is high on the revenue side relative to what the analyst expectations were. But I think on a percent mm -hmm. basis, I think there is a chance that it may be slightly below uh, what the analysts were expecting. Uh, I think if that is the reason it is down, <laughs> that's a very silly reason for a stock to be down. Uh, I mean, analysts, you know, if the analysts did a poor job of, uh, of uh, you know, modeling the company, it's not the company's fault. Hmm. <laughs> it's somebody yeah. else's fault. Um, <laughs> You can't anyway. say that. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, you know, I don't do, I don't claim that my, you know, I just said my ballpark now. It's like a ballpark. If it's in the ballpark, it is in the ballpark. It's not far off from the ballpark. So, uh, yeah, like really exciting company. Um, I thought the results were great. They're executing really well. They have a $5 billion ARR annual recurring revenue target in the next few years. They're at about a billion plus right now, as I said. Um, huge opportunity. Um, and security has never been more important than now, right? With war and everything going on, you know, one of the ways war is waged these days is through cyber attacks as well, right? It's not just a physical war. There is an electronic warfare that happens um, at the same time. So really, excited. I, in my view, in my books, the results were an A+. Uh, the market clearly disagrees. Maybe I should buy some tomorrow. <laughs> so if you had to give the, I, I know you said you haven't gone fully through the transcript yet, but if you had to give it a score, if we're doing, you know, A plus down to fail, how do you think it fared? I thought it was, as I said, I think it's an A plus. I mean, you know, 90% uh, RPO growth, 60% uh, mm. revenue growth at scale, you know, growing responsibility. I have a hard time giving it a lower score, right? And this is sort of the thing, right? You know, sometimes there's disconnect. Uh, between the market and what an individual sure. investor might think, and that is the individual investor's opportunity or you know advantage. For sure, I've I've had a few results this week where I've just looked at them and I thought, why? What's what's happened? You know, in terms of the companies reported, shares have gone way up or way down, and um, some of it may be justified. But then you think, you know, why is it falling thirty percent? Maybe five percent? Mm. Um, and I I I I. It's tending to be the companies that aren't profitable, which we've talked about in the past with interest rates rising, inflation and all that, you know, the, the fear of capital raisings and uh, discounted rates and all that sort of stuff come into effect, um, which is reasonable um, because we've basically gone from 2021, which if you just take COVID out of it from an investing perspective, it was a growth investor's dream. 
you come to 2022 and you've basically got everything piling on top geopolitical concerns inflation interest rates you know rebalancing the value and uh you know rotating the values i should say and so all of a sudden everything's pretty grim um but if you are long-term focused and you're operationally you know if you're operationally minded you're looking at the companies executing good time to be an investor great time to have some capital as we've spoken about so the company i'm going to talk about is playside studios i thought this was relevant because a it reported today and b we've spoken about it a lot on the show um i've also i also get a lot of questions about this on twitter um amongst some other companies which people don't like me for speaking out about but um playside studios trades on the asx uh ticket symbol is ply um it's a it's an Australian-based game developer, so it basically splits its business into um, a couple of divisions. But you can think of it as uh, it has original IP. This is where it creates its own intellectual property. So it might license um, some sort of you know brand, like say um, you know some sort of cre- uh, movie studio brand, and then create its own titles. Or it might work for someone else, and this is the other division, work for hire, which is where it creates. Um, you know, it works on projects for other companies. So for example, one of the things that CEO and co-founder Jerry Sackis said today was that I think they're the biggest third-party developer on, on Meta Platform's uh, Horizons project. So basically Playside is trying to position itself, at least here in Australia, maybe if not globally, at the kind of forefront of um, the metaverse game development kind of cycle. And um, it's still got fantastic mobile games. It's now building across platform. It's got a couple of games being launched across PC and console. What we're seeing with Playside is we're seeing basically its profile just shooting straight up. So not necessarily, we're not seeing it, you know, in the clouds in terms of its revenue and and these types of things just yet. But what we're seeing is a lot of attention put on it from um, brand owners, but also from um, other game publishers. So it's, you know, it's partnered with the likes of Activision recently, uh, 2K, uh, Shiba Games, uh, Wax, like all of these different games, uh, houses that are really paying attention to what Playside's doing. To put it in context, uh, they've got about 130 uh, in their team at the moment, which is up hugely from Playside. Um, but they are looking to, I think it's up to 160 staff in the next few months. One of the questions I asked Jerry Sackers this morning was, you know, how are you going with hiring? Um, because gaming companies need um, the I guess, the talent to create the games. And games are one of those things where you need the best talent to create the best designs, to create the best, you know, um, I guess, just everything to do with a game. When you think about it, like the environments, um, the way the games are developed, improves um, the development cycles, et cetera. And he said that he's getting a few hundred applications from developers uh, each week, and they're taking on one or two. Um, So there's a massive influx of demand um, from people that want to work for Playside from Australia, New Zealand, all around, while at the same time, most of the um, industry is going in the opposite direction. So traditional uh, technology roles are moving towards this metaverse stuff. They want to work on these exciting blockchain projects. Um, So Playside is getting a massive tailwind in in terms of hiring and scaling its team. Anyway, revenue was up 87% to $9.4 million. Um, The original IP division, uh, which has games like uh, Battle Simulator, Animal Warfare, which are on mobile, and uh, Age of Darkness, which is uh, still a soft launch. Um, Six million dollars of that eight of that nine point four, so the majority of revenue. Uh, the work for hire revenue was three point four million dollars, or up sixty five percent. 
Now, one thing to keep in mind, which a lot of the questions on the call were talking about, which is something which um, Playside launched its own NFT, non-fungible tokens for the game uh, Dumb Ways to Die franchise. Um, so basically Playside minted its own NFTs recently um, and it collected $8.4 million of revenue. If you're new to NFTs, you would think that $8.4 million of revenue came out of thin air. So that's still yet to be recognized on the income statement that'll be in the next quarter. Um, all in all, uh, you know, the business is still reporting a loss. So keep that in mind. It's really speculative. Uh, for, a, for a company that's now got $500 million market cap, once you include restricted shares, it's pretty exy. It is pretty exy. However, I think it's kind of going to become Australia's, if not already, Australia's biggest and best um, game studio and developer. So uh, lots to like about the business. Just keep in mind, it's very speculative. Um, I would give the report, you know, like a B plus because maybe an A. Not an A plus because it's not profitable, but it's um it's doing everything you would expect Jerry Sackers and his team to do. So that's Playside Studios. Um, if you have any questions, you can always just reach out to me on Twitter uh, at Owen Rask if you want to ask anything there. But mate, that's my number one. I went way over five minutes. So sorry about that. I'll be quicker on the next one. Your number two is Upstart. <laughs> Takes trades under the ticker symbol UPST. Tell us a little bit about it and and what's going on. Yeah, so Upstart basically is a platform uh, that, you know, it's a platform in the US that enables consumers to essentially, or aggregates consumers who come to that uh, upstart.com mm. uh, looking for a loan, personal loan, and it uh, can automatically approve, you know, um, personal loans based on some fields that you fill in uh, without any human intervention, right? So it's an automated, automate, automatic machine learning driven uh, personal lending um, facilitation platform. Uh, and I say, I use the word facilitation largely because they don't actually issue the loans. The loans are either issued by partner banks uh, or, you know, are, are conduited through partner banks and banks and then sold off to investors um, who basically, you know, um, invest for yield. And uh, some banks uh, now, about 40 odd banks are now using them uh, you know, sort of white labeling their solution uh, and using it to generate loans and uh, provide loans to their own customers. So uh, there's a lot of um, you know noise around this company. Um, recently, the stock has been you know the, the valuation has been all over the place for this company in terms of its mm, um, nice. um, it, its stock price. I mean, the PE ratio or PS ratio for this company uh, has been all over the place. Um, part of the issue was that one of the things that people are worried about is uh, the company has been going down sort of the spectrum in terms of, uh, you know, what they call prime borrowers, or, you know, uh, borrowers with high quality uh, credit scores, I guess, and going down that spectrum. What, and, and, and what they have observed is um, some of the data that the bond rating agencies provide is that there has been uptick in loss rates or delinquencies from, from some of these borrowers. What the company is basically saying is that, look, you know, this is expected because uh, as people are coming out of sort of this uh, COVID cash stimulation and type of environment, um, you know, we're going to see more normal levels of losses. And as I saying that, you know, it's not that we we know that those we're going to see those that type of losses that we are actually seeing. In fact, the loss rates or the delinquencies were subdued because of COVID. And it's fine because as long as the model accounts for that, and it's all good because, you know, I mean, if you're charging someone on, on ag aggregate, let's say 20% interest rate or 15% interest rate, and then, you know, you have a small percentage of those people not deliver, it's okay because the 15% interest rate on the others is going to cover for it, right? I mean, there is always delinquencies in loans, right? And there always just, is, yeah. yeah, this is a combination that matters. 
So um, anyway, the stock was up like 35% or 40% or something like that on, on the uh, earnings news. Um, it's been climbing a bit post, the, you know, but this is a very profitable company. Uh, you know, the revenue was up like some 200%. Um, it, it's a, pro, you know, and it's uh, EPS was up. Uh, I don't even know how much by, by a large number. And I, th- I think... I find this company very interesting because there's a lot of debate around whether or not what they're doing can happen. Because what their premise is, is to make credit more affordable and more basically assess people based on true risk. And the ability to assess people based on true risk means that you're looking at all these different types of variables that people didn't generally look at in the past and using them in models to actually predict what the true risk is, right? If somebody might be high, credit worthy, but actually might be high risk. Somebody is not credit worthy according to current system, but actually may not be, um, uh, you know, as high risk as the current system thinks. Then there's, of course, the question of, you know, you can lend to more people, but at maybe higher interest rates, right? So there's that type of, you know, um, opportunity as well. Um, so uh, there's a lot of debate around, you know, what they're doing, does it work or not? In the meantime, this company is expanding into um, automotive, uh, you know, lending for cars or vehicle vehicle loans. And they have plans of lend, expanding into small business lending and, you know, uh, more shorter term, uh, you know, lending uh, programs, and then eventually getting into mortgages. So they're really going for the whole pie in due course. Um, so I find this coming very interesting and exciting. And, you know, if it's one of those things that, you know, if this thing works and its current results seem to suggest it works, then the opportunity is just truly humongous. And as, as sort of a platform provider, not a lending company, um, you know, they, you know, while they, they are exposed to sort of the cyclicality of lending, given that they're in a secular sort of growth type of environment, if they can keep capturing more banks and credit unions and things like that, they should be able to, you know, smooth out that cyclicality uh, to a large extent while being, you know, uh, this is a billion dollar plus run rate company right now. Um, yes, I really like it. I thought the results were excellent. Um, you know, I'd give it an A, not an A plus. I mean, I should give it an A plus uh, for the earnings growth and stuff that it has delivered. Um, and it's actually not expensive at all. You know, I think the trailing PE was something like 60 or something like that for, you know, with the ease growing at some, you know, uh, uh, a really high rate. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, uh, you know, a triple digit rate or something like that. So uh, I'm still going to the A large because I think there's a little bit of, Unknown, unknown here, and the unknown, unknown is that you know only in the fullness of time do we know whether or not these algorithms truly work. So, but I, I think, think this is really interesting company. So, um, for those uh, listeners that are still a little bit confused about some of the things that it does, I was just looking at this. Like it might take into account your education level or your the your employment, like your, where you work, your sector mm-hmm. of employment, all of these different things to predict creditworthiness. That's, that's kind of fascinating, and it makes sense, right? Because Traditionally, you couldn't really do that because it would be incredibly manual. Um, but with obviously like big data and machine learning, you can identify patterns and, um, you know, use these things to, yeah, to predict ab- creditworthiness. It's fascinating. Yeah, absolutely. So, you, can, you know, based on the type of education you're having, where are you having it and what degree you are studying, what universities or colleges you're going to, you could pretty much stratify opportunities that lie ahead for the individual, right? Mm, and, for sure. and therefore, you, you are lending not based on uh, trailing data, but on effectively lending based on future potential. 
in many mm. ways, right? And if you just think that, okay, they're going to soon graduate and have a job, well, they may be worthy of giving a credit right now, um, you know, because they're probably going to get land a job that'll allow them to be, you know, uh, to pay the loans, right? So I think it's, a, as you, you know, that's a nice example. I like it, Owen. Mm. Uh, fascinating, fascinating company. I'm just might follow up with one more question, if I might, because I am, this is really interesting to me. So revenue looks like it's gone up about 260% over the past, it went from 2020 to 2021. So it's growing rapidly and analysts are still predicting huge revenue growth over the next few years. Um, so you mentioned that it partners with banks. Does it partner and it kind of like partners to push the credit off? Does that mean that, it, does it hold the, the credit risk on its balance sheet or does it push that off to the bank? No, so it, it funds some of the loans from its balance sheet, a very small percentage, only when they're trying out new things or making okay. changes. So they don't, they don't send uh, stuff off to their partner banks um, unless they are happy with it. You know what I mean? Um, For sure. So, that, so, so they're not a lending company, so the, but, but, but they're still effectively lending in the sense this is, this is, you know, they're not a lending company, but it's still a lending company in the sense that if their lending model breaks, then the partner banks are not going to act as pass through, right? Yeah. So there are two types of things that happen. There's, there's banks that are using them as white label solutions. Then there are banks which are also acting as conduit. Um, effectively as passed through, right? Because they're not a bank. So somebody else is the bank that is, you know, creating the loan, seasoning the loan on their balance sheet for a few days uh, so that, you know, there's not a fraud and then passing it off to institutional investors like, you know, people like Goldman Sachs who want to buy uh, for yield, right? For sure. and, and, and then, of course, uh, Upstart also facilitates, you know, basically secretization, which is basically taking a bunch of these loans and putting them together to create a bundle, uh, right? So you can buy the individual loan, so you can buy the bundle. <laughs> mm. um, and, and, and that's just to provide liquidity to the investors, right? Because you've provided, you know, that, that's what basically markets to a large extent do, right? The share market is, is a liquidity medium. The bond market is a liquidity medium. I mean, effectively, otherwise you could just hold it forever and you don't need any trading. And then at the end of the, uh, I guess the period, you get your principal back in the interim, you've got the coupon of or the interest, right? Uh, but people like to have the tradability, which is what they're sort of facilitating. It's fascinating because then it's much more capital light than many of the models um, that we see yes. in the, the, the fintech space. Cool. Well, that's that's um, Upstart, trades under the ticker symbol UPSD. Um, my second company is in a similar vein. It is uh, Square slash Block slash a bunch of other names underneath the hood. Um, so many people will be familiar with Square because it bought uh, Afterpay. And then we, we've talked at length about this. And then it rebranded as Block to uh, illustrate the emphasis on the blockchain. All that said, it's still the square many people know and love. It is primarily two divisions, which is the Cash App, which is like a super app for um, mostly people in the United States who use it to um, send money around to pay for things, to do things like Bitcoin, Bitcoin trading, pardon me, or to um, cash their checks and, and, and so on and so forth. Uh, outside of that, for example, here in Australia, it is massive in the sense that of its point of sale technology. So if you go up to a cafe, um, small and medium enterprises in particular, or even micro enterprises with the smaller terminal, uh, you can tap your card on that little square reader or on the screen as it presents to you. You'll see, you'll know a square terminal when you see one in the wild, because the cafe owner will be using something that looks like an iPad. So that's basically the way to identify them. Um, and so what did they uh, report? So revenue, um, of US $17.66 billion, an increase of 86% year on year, gross profit of US $4.2 billion, up 62%. Um, one of the big things is that people say, oh, you know, there's all this Bitcoin revenue that's block generates. 
to be honest, don't even look at that because it's so low margin. It's not even worth factoring into your valuation or your analysis. It's kind of just like a, I don't even know, like a facil facilitation type thing. Um, it's so low margin. Um, people like it. People like the app for the blockchain um, style stuff, like being able to transfer to Bitcoin and whatever. But um, it's primarily the growth outside of that and subscription revenues and things like, um, you know, trading um, and just all those different kind of ancillary things that come along with it. Uh, adjusted EBITDA of US $1.01 billion up 114%. Uh, net income of 166 million down 22%. So I guess some of the uh, interesting things here are the shares are up here in Australia because now it's dual listed, uh, up 34%. And after hours in the United States, they're up about 28% at the time of recording. So I know you own this one, mate. Um, well done. Um, so the, it's, a, it's a fantastic uh, business that's just getting stickier. We spoke off air. One of the key things to pull out of the, um, the report was that um, around 38% of merchants, so those are the people that are using you know, the, the cafes and what have you that are using the point of sale technology and, the, and the so on and so forth, around 38% of the merchants um, use four or more devices or products. Um, to put that in perspective, five years ago, that was at 10%. So only one in 10 customers used four or more products. So this business, basically every way you look at it is further entrenching uh, itself into its customers' lives, whether that's on the cash app side or whether that's over on the, the seller side. Um, and what is really impressive about Block right now, oh, by the way, afterpay revenue is not included in the current quarter. So um, for this annual report, you're not going to see any of that. Uh, that happens uh, soon. So that's even more upside for you to look forward to. But um, one of the things that uh, is a kind of really interesting is it's hitting operating leverage. So I'm just going to look past share-based compensation. I know that's a whole thing right now. And just simply take net cash from operations and deduct uh, property plan and equipment for the 2021 financial year. That was $713 million up from... Um, around about $265 million or 169% increase. So the business is well and truly into its stride. Um, as we know, uh, Dorsey has a lot of plans for the business, um, whether that's on the blockchain side, whether it's on the super app side, um, the business is, is really ticking along and add after pain to the mix. It's looking really good. So um, very happy very happy with Block at the moment. I would give this an A+. Uh, I don't think I've ever given an A+. So um, this is my first A+, and I'm very excited to give it to Block. And I'm, you know what? I'm pretty happy, mate, because it's in the middle of um, a pretty volatile time in market. So it's good to have a company jump 20 or 30% in a single day. Uh, it's a bit of a reprieve, I guess. I don't know if you had any thoughts. I, I don't think you've had a great, chance, a great opportunity to look at it yet because we've been cramming for the other companies, but um, I bet you're happy. I, I haven't looked at it, but I'm happy and I'm, 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 I'm delighted with your thoughts. I'm going to have a look later tonight, but, uh, you know, I'm just happy. I, I think, again, this is a powerhouse in the making. So, uh, yeah. and it's great. It's listed here in Australia for those people who do not uh, invest uh, directly overseas. I mean, this is an opportunity to get actually an overseas investment opportunity, you know. Mm, yeah, for sure. I like it. And um, yeah, SQ2 is the ticker symbol, by the way. I forgot to mention that. Uh, basically, to represent square two. Um, so uh, Global Ease, the company that you're talking about for your third and final company, which is trades under the ticker symbol GLBE. We've spoken about this in the past. Um, really interesting business. Maybe for those listeners who are a little bit confused about exactly what it does, because it's, I think that distinction with the competitors in the space or supposed competitors in the space is really important. Can you just 
tell us what happened um, and a little bit about the business. Yeah, so I'll use an example. So let's say I'm I'm uh, I am a tag hewer and I want to sell you know my beautiful watches globally. Mm-hmm. Um, I could set up my own website, which probably I did, and I could set up you know subsidiary websites or have mechanics for figuring out how to sell into Australia, how to sell sell into France, how to sell into you know UK and so on. Now it sounds like oh this should be all simple, but it's not because there's local currency, there's local uh, uh, VAT, there's local shipping, there's local uh, time zones, there's like you know uh, you know need for local customer service and things like that. Right? It just makes it very complicated. So a lot of companies, of course, have you know big companies try to do it on all internally using their own IT teams, um, or if you don't want to do it, you can go to a company like Globally, which will basically integrate their plugins uh, onto one of your main sites and then make it appear like seamless for uh, customers coming in from other places. And this they refer to this as cross-border. Uh, traffic. So basically, you might have a United States site based in the United States or a company based in the United States that wants to cross-border sell into Australia. Uh, you know, if you like, for example, the Thursday boot company and I want to buy their shoes uh, from the US, well, you know, this is cross-border. Uh, and But if you want to make it seamless, you might want to use somebody like Globally. Um, mm-hmm. And this sounds, as I said, but it's very sticky because once a business is integrated and they start seeing those sales dollars come through, there's very little reason for them to tear this apart and either go to somebody else because that's risk or try to do it yourself because that's even more risk. Mm. <laughs> so um, uh, these guys uh, partner with Shopify. So Shopify is, is a platform on which a lot of merchants uh, sell online. Uh, they partner with Shopify uh, at the larger end of things, um, you know, but, um, you know, uh, they also acquired a company called Flow, which allows them, which was supporting Shopify at the smaller end of things. And acquiring Flow basically made them essentially a company that is now helping Shopify with cross-border, uh, tra- you know, e-commerce um, across both the smaller and the larger uh, spectrum of merchants. And that's good because, you know, oft- you know, sometimes you might have a new merchant come on board, they're small, they then become medium-sized, then they want to become large, and, and the needs change while having that entire suite of product, um, entire product suite allows you to transition them across uh, these things. Um, um, so that's the basic idea of the company. Mm-hmm. Uh, e-commerce, I think, has been under, you know, uh, in, has been hammered because For of sure. COVID fears and normalization fears and things like that, right? Um and what is interesting with this company is that they actually grew their uh, total merchandise volume uh, by 66% year over year. Again, the, the total merchandise volume going through here is uh, relatively small. It was only $505 million uh, for the quarter, um, relatively small compared to some of the, the big wigs. Uh, but you know, it, it was strong growth and they're predicting strong growth going forward. And part of the reason here is that um, because they are brand focused, they serve brands and big merchants, um, even in environments of uh, supply chain constraints and things like that, brands have a preference of, of I guess, uh, preferential treatment for their own self versus preferential treatment to, you know, um, mm. other outlets and retailers and things like that. So third parties and marketplaces are second choice for them versus being direct to uh, consumer, right? So, th- so they're not impacted by this. And, and the other cool thing is that they take fees of the service they provide. They also can provide shipping services, which is optional. The fees on, um, or the take rate effectively, which is the amount of money they make for providing the service has been very strong and healthy and has stayed 
you know, relatively flat for a while, which is which is really good. Their gross profits are increasing. Um, Shopify is invested in this business, and yeah, they're projecting a strong um, a pipe uh, growth into 2022 based on the pipeline of customers that they have. I, I really like what this company does, and I like how efficient they are. Um, and I like the fact that, you know, they're maintaining their take rates. And, you know, so if you look underneath, and it's profitable or, you know, break-even sort of thing uh, already at its current scale. Um, and I think cross-border e-commerce is an interesting area. So, mm. yeah, I like this company and I think it's doing well. I've given it, a, I've given this an A. I wouldn't give it an A plus um, yet. An a. Okay, uh, yeah, I'll note a. that down. An A, okay. Um, I guess people are a bit... Um, concerned just generally like with cross-border e-com right now because of the whole you know what's going on in terms of geopolitical stuff but um maybe maybe investors are compensated for that that risk right now uh shares are down it's only a five billion dollar company too right so it's like by u.s standards it's kind of like a small cap yeah it's a small cap uh as i said i think uh, it's a small cap it's growing really fast and it's you know scaling and it's showing signs of offering leverage. So I mean, look, I think the fears uh, that we see are there. Maybe they'll get hit by supply chain. There's inflation, but I think you know I feel like uh, you know if somebody was buying ordinary stuff online because they had no other choice but to buy it online or they were just bored, uh, those things are the first ones to disappear, right? But if you know you you have to really be a deliberate purchaser to be buying something like a tag hero, as an example, right? If you're buying something expensive and on those things you have higher margins, you know. So uh, I think this is this is just catering to a different customer base. In the PayPal call, uh, one of the things that they and this is talking about a different company, their their CFO or CEO basically said that they've seen softness from sort of their lower income uh, group. Uh, which sort of absolutely makes sense, right? Because, you know, that group enjoyed the stimulus funds and, you know, spent it. Um, and the other group, you know, those who are relatively well off are not as sensitive to things like inflation and, you know, other issues, right? So if, you, if you're willing to buy a BMW, uh, then you, you'll hmm. buy the BMW, whether it's $10,000 more or not, because you're, in, you're paying like 150 grand, right? So, you know, at, at that point, you probably, you know, you're not going to go buy a Toyota because you started off buying, looking for a BMW. So I think it's just a different customer base. So I think I like this company. It's a small cap. And I like the fact that it is partnered with uh, Shopify. Um, mm. That is like having a giant under your corner, um, and they own a pretty substantial stake in the business. Yes, yeah, so I think that's a key key part thesis. Yeah. Key. yeah. Um, so that's that's a really um, interesting business. So we've spoken about it before. I can't remember the episode, but if you're a regular listener, you're probably familiar with it. Um, fascinating to watch that story unfold, mate. Um, I couldn't couldn't help but mention, uh, notice that you mentioned Tag Hewer a few times, just to round out the conversation apple does sell watches so if you are in the market you can there it is right there you can buy a watch from apple and as uh two very faithful shareholders we will thank you very much for that um so the final company is a company called envirosuite which trades under the asx ticker symbol evs that's a company that we've mentioned or i've mentioned a couple times maybe just in passing but envirosuite is a environmental intelligence platform so what does that mean it basically provides the software as well as some of the hardware units um, for organizations to manage their environmental impact. So it's more so like measurement. So things like um, airports with noise, how much noise they can uh, create. It's basically a social license. You know, if you have an airport in a 
residential area, how much noise can it create during takeoff and landing? Um, it also does things like, um, it's basically split into three divisions. So it's got aviation, which I just mentioned. It's got something called Omnis, which um, means everything. That's the literal meaning of it. Um, and that includes uh, monitoring for things like sound, vibration, smell, um, all those different types of things on industrial plants, energy plants, um, you name it, uh, ports, those types of things. So that's Omnis. And the third division is this EVS water. It's a water division, which if you think about it, um, it's through a combination of acquisitions and licensing of technology. It's basically the, the value prop is you can go to someone that runs sewers or water mains or anything like that, the, you know, water plants. So think, imagine like a council or something like that. Um, and it can run through um, SUEX or its um, designer products. It can basically... Um, monitor your your plant and your facilities for things like corrosion um, contamination all that sort of stuff and design as well so it's a this is a really new part of its business uh, the company just for for those of you that don't know it well the company does have a bit of a history in terms of acquisition and capital raisings um, you can go into the i'm sure you can go into like an announcements tab and filter for um, capital raisings over the years, but it's under new management, which is what I really like about it. Um, the company had a call this week for its first half of 2022 results, and I'll just read out some of those things now. So um, recurring revenue for the business was uh, $21.5 million. So that was up 7.5%. I think investors were probably expecting more than that for recurring revenue. Non-recurring revenue was up 50% to $5.2 million. So overall revenue is $26.8 million up 14%. Some of that non-recurring revenue was driven by um, some of the, the customers in the Omnis side of things, mainly in North America from the resources uh, or mining sector. Uh, so those non-recurring, which is probably not what investors want to see over the long term, but it's interesting nonetheless. Um, the company did keep a really good lid on costs though. So gross profit up 33%. Um, the thing is, as I asked uh, CEO Jason Cooper on the call, the business is... Um, you know, it is a preferred actually employer from a lot of software engineers and, and the like, uh, because people want to work there because it's, of its focus on the environment and sustainability and those types of things. So people want to work for the company because they have, it's like purpose driven. Uh, but one of the things to keep in mind is that operating expenses probably, in my opinion, will probably go up a bit over the next year as they continue to invest in their, their water division and try and acquire more customers. Um, so the business is not break even and it probably won't be uh, for another 12 to 18 months um, based on my numbers, which I'll just recite here from my summary that I did when I read the results. Um, it looks like just based on some very crude numbers here, um, they could be up for, if they, if we base it on ARR of $49 million, uh, non-recurring revenue of $10 million at a 48% gross profit margin, their gross profit margin is increasing dramatically because they're pushing to the cloud and finding efficiencies they might churn out about $28 million of gross profit for the next 12 months, but expenses might rise to around 36 to 40 million. So they're going to be going backwards. Um, and um, I guess that that just brings into question, like how are they going to grow out of that cash flow squeeze um, and how quickly can they do that? And so um, one of the questions, again, that I asked Jason on the call was basically what does the borders reopening mean throughout the world to you? And if you're selling software and some, you know, small hardware units into clients, like imagine an energy plant industrial facility, you want to get on site. Uh, so you want to be there. You want to speak to the customers. You want to understand their needs. And so the reopening is actually a massive opportunity for them to get on the ground and speak to clients and speak and get sites um, um, up and running. So 
that is something that I'll be watching closely over the next year. Um, the move to the cloud is also now more accepted than ever. They, they were targeting 50% margins. Uh, so they're pretty close to that already. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a really interesting business. There's still some risks in the business financially, but um, they're confident they don't need a capital raising. We'll see about that. But overall, I mean, for environmental focused software on the ASX, Virusuite's probably one of the top, top companies in that space. And um, I like the management team. Uh, yeah, there's, there's plenty of work to do, but um, I'm pretty optimistic about it in the long run. Very small company. So just go into it with your eyes open. Um, yeah, I don't know if you have any questions on that, but um, that's Envirosuite, EVS is the ticker symbol. I have a generic, just generic question. This might be useful for investors. So um, this company grew um, in the first half revenue. Revenue is pretty small, right? 26, 27 million. Mm. And it, over the prior period grew it by only like 14%, right? So that's like, I mean, when you're at, so you're at, a, let's say 52 million, 53 million run rate and you're growing at 14, 15%. Um, what, how do you think about it's, I guess, long-term revenue trajectory and i guess then how do you think about you know them spending for growth and you know how much cash do they need and sort of you know uh, how, how do you think about evaluation for a company that is smallish uh nothing wrong and be small and growing relatively slowly right mm, yeah so that's that's the thing i think um we need to take this in context of how things have unfolded so one of the things that i was really mindful of is when jason came in and he's brought a bunch of really impressive people with him uh, he actually came in the middle of COVID after they just completed the biggest acquisition of all time uh, with teams all around the world um, and basically inherited um, what I would say was a pretty, um, you know, not uh, ugly Chinese division, we could say. So he's basically come into it um, in the middle of all that and spent the past 12 to 18 months kind of writing the ship. And I think um, basically delivered. So I'm willing to back their experience to back him into this. And the slower growth, I think, is a function of kind of the things that I mentioned where they're pivoting their focus, not all of their focus, but they're, they're investing heavily in their water business, which has really came out of, come out of nowhere in the past few years. They've got some global um, reference sites now, which are really important for them. Um, and they can finally get people on the ground. Um, he, he mentioned something that he met up with the, the top executives for the company in California, which is where he spent a lot of his time professionally. Um, and that wasn't long ago. And that was the first time he'd met them all in person. So I'm from a team perspective, I think that's going to help them grow that recurring revenue really effectively. Um, and it's also going to help them build things like culture, attract good talent in terms of products. Um, of course, you know, it, it's, it's, it's all well and good to say that you're, you are, um, a software company in environmental sustainability, all this stuff. Like it's a, there's a lot going on there. However, um, you've got to see that growth. So we want to see like the industry as a whole, we would expect to grow with the emphasis on climate change and everything. So we would expect a natural industry growth there. So we would want it to be growing above that rate, ideally, because we want it to be growing, you know, faster in the industry, capturing more share of that industry, so on and so forth. So that's how we can monitor that going forward. Capital raisings, um, obviously we probably don't want to see any more of that. If we can turn our back on that um, for good, that would be a kind of a red flag in time, I would say for investors who have been around for a long time. Um, and obviously we want management to be appropriately incentivized to per, add per share value. So I guess that doesn't really answer your question, but I want to see AR growing quickly, but I think it can because there'll be more sell through over the next 18 months and uh, willing to back management. 
Cool. So I'll call. I'll say that there's some potential for green shoots here. So oh. watch for those. Watch for those green shoots, and stick around if the green shoots are there. Yeah, yeah. So I'll give it. Uh, you had to do it. Uh, fair enough. Uh, I'll give it a B plus uh, because I still want to see you know more of that ARR growth. That's basically that would push push, push it into the A territory. It needs to get more of that ARR growth. Uh, so that yeah, ARR growth for an A. Um, but mate, I, I thought we're coming to the end of the show now. Um, we know that people can get in touch with us. I'm at Owen Rask. You're at 7A Mahanti on Twitter. I will put all the links in the show notes if you're on your podcast player and you want to ask either of us a question about the companies we just spoke about, just click the link, go through to Twitter and send us a message. Um, but it is also February 25th as I check it on my iMac here. That means that 7 Investing stock idea is coming out in the next few days. Can you tell us anything at all? Give us a bit of a promo. Come on, pump it up. Yo, okay, okay. So there's some very fascinating companies on this uh, upcoming month's list. Some really mm -hmm. fascinating ones. Um, uh, this, okay, let me give you the hint. This month, there's a very good mix of internationally flavored ideas, of internationally Ooh. flavored ideas. Um, you know, companies that are either internationally headquartered or uh, listed overseas, Ooh. listed in the US, but internationally headquartered or founded by, um, you know, uh, immigrants. So it's like, it's, it's a bonanza in that sense. Uh, what is my company? My company is a very exciting company, growing free cash flow, uh, earnings growth uh, through the roof, um, just scratched the tip of the surface uh, in terms of the you know market opportunity. And uh, yeah, uh, interesting. It's, it's an exciting, it's a great company. I'm interesting. It's a great interesting. Company. Yeah, so this is what um, I love about the seven investing team. All of the advisors get a chance to pick one stock every month. And I do get, I do see the hints and the videos on Twitter. I think it's a great idea. I think it changes kind of how we think about the businesses that you and I work in, which is like giving investment research to investors. Um, I think it, it, it just, it's just exciting. It's fun. Um, and that's the way investing can be. I, I, I know that's not necessarily the way a lot of conventional investors look at the industry, but I think it's what people want to hear. So you can head to seveninvesting.com forward slash subscribe. You can use the RASK code. That's R-A-S-K. Just uh, pop that in there and you can get access to Anirban's uh, latest pick and all of the picks from the past, as well as the entire seven investing team. Uh, if you, and by the way, Rast doesn't get anything for that. Um, just we work on the show together. That's all we do. Um, and you can head to rast.com.au. That's R-A-S-K. And you can take one of our investing courses or download a free report from me and the team at Rask. So mate, as always, it's an absolute pleasure. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me, Owen.